99.5 WGAR now presents Sunday Digest, a program featuring interesting conversation with people making a difference in Northeast Ohio and around the nation with award-winning broadcaster Ken Robinson. And now here's Ken and Sunday Digest on WGAR. Good morning and welcome to Sunday Digest. We're going to begin our show by talking about school. Yes, it's that time of year again, and maybe your child is going to a charter school this year. We'll hear from Clinton Sato, Assistant Director of the Ohio Community School Center. Also, are you setting a good example for your kids? We'll hear from James O'Connor, author of Cuss Control. We'll clean up our act on today's edition of Sunday Digest. But first... Some kids are going to school in a mall. Randall Park Mall is the home of North Coast Academy, an educational resource center for students who are struggling with bad grades in traditional schools. But why a school in a shopping mall? Actually, is kind of part of the attraction. We're talking about students who were not successful for whatever reason in the traditional setting. So if we're going to take them out of the traditional setting, there's a lot of logic to putting them in a location in which they're comfortable already. Randall Park Mall manager John Vavris explains the academy is in an office-like setting in the mall with kids from over a dozen Cuyahoga County school districts taking part. So this is a very comfortable, non-intimidating setting you know, where the students can have the privacy of a classroom, interaction with other students that have similar situations to them. They can get the benefits of, a, of approximately a one to 10 teacher to student ratio. John Vavra says Randall Park Mall is committed to this alternative school and parent company Simon Properties is setting up similar schools in other malls around the country. It's not at all a short-term, one-year, two-year program. This is a very long-term program. And it will change the lives of those students who are accepted into the program and who put forth the effort to graduate. And one of those graduates is Mike Daly. He says the mall school kept him from dropping out. Well, the traditional school didn't have enough one-on-one -on -one attention, and it didn't have the same uh, persona that the student and teacher have together. We have a different relationship with our teachers here at this school, and we feel more obligated to make them proud of us than we would a normal teacher in a regular school. And he doesn't believe he would have made it otherwise. Uh, I would have probably dropped out, yeah. My grades were fine, but um, it was just the tension. I just couldn't take it anymore. In fact, I almost did drop out before I came here. Mike Daly admits that students without self-discipline will find it a tough program to complete. Well, the centers aren't for everyone. It's a self-paced program. The only people that it's for are the people who will be able to do it on their own. There's not somebody hounding you 24-7 to do your own work. I mean, you do it yourself. If you don't graduate, that's your fault. It's self-paced. It's not for everyone. It definitely taught me the discipline, and it taught me a lot of other skills for life that I'm going to need later on. The Randall Park School is being funded by a half-million-dollar grant from Simon Properties Youth Foundation. I'm Ken Robinson, and you're listening to FM 99.5 WGAR. From WGAR. This is Sunday Digest with Ken Robinson. And we're glad to have you along today. Hey, maybe you've heard about charter schools. An increasing number of charter schools have been setting up shop around Ohio. And here to tell us about this new type of educational facility is Clinton Sato, Assistant Director of the Ohio Community School Center. He's based in Columbus. Clinton, what exactly is a charter school? Charter school is a public school that is independently operated. It's uh, autonomous, it's free from the uh, administrative control of a local school district, but it is a public school. It's uh, open to all students, 
at, they take the proficiency tests, you know, they get audited by the state, uh, they follow open records laws, uh, but they are governed by independent governing boards uh, that, uh, that are uh, a creation of the school according to the rules and regulations of each individual school. How is a charter school different from a private school that we traditionally know? Well, I mean, the biggest difference from a private school would be the fact that they're tuition-free. Uh, other important differences include that they must be non-sectarian and uh, that uh, they have to uh, be open to all students. They can't discriminate or have entrance exams or turn away students for any, for any reason. Uh, so the fact that it's a public school, that it's free, non-sectarian, and open to all would be the sort of the biggest differences with a private school, which has control over its enrollment and obviously charges tuition and so on and so forth. Since charter schools are tuition-free, how do you get your funding? Uh, they're funded from, uh, from the state. Uh, they're, they uh, receive the basic foundation payment from the state, uh, the same payment that uh, the state guarantees Cleveland Public Schools or all the public schools in the state. There's been a lot of, uh, well, I was going to say, it. it's kind of like the best of both worlds. You have the, uh, uh, I guess, uh, small classrooms like uh, a private school, but yet uh, you are open like a public school. Yep, that's one way to look at it, absolutely. Uh-huh. Ha- has there been a lot of interest in uh, charter schools in Ohio recently? Well, I think there has been. Uh, they've been growing pretty fast. None of them seem to have trouble filling up, and a lot of them have waiting lists, and uh, they seem to be pretty popular with parents. Yeah. In what cities is the charter movement uh, most active? Well, the uh, law restricts them to urban areas or areas that are uh, under academic emergency. And since uh, the academic emergency rating on the report cards is brand new, uh, none of, uh, no schools have uh, opened in those areas yet. So right now, uh, they're only in the urban areas, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Toledo, Akron, so on and so forth. I would imagine there's uh, interest in expanding them to other areas as well. Uh, there is interest, but uh, right now they are restricted to the urban and low-performing school districts, where uh, the General Assembly and Governor Taft feels that there's uh, the greatest need for uh, uh, for more educational opportunities uh, for uh, parents to avail themselves of. So is it safe to assume that because in some areas, like Cleveland, I, I would imagine, the school system is in such disarray that there's concern that kids are slipping through the safety net and, and all the cracks in the system, so that's why charter schools have been started in these areas? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. That's where they need more choices within the public system. I mean, it's, it's very important to distinguish this program from the voucher program, which is wholly separate and independent, uh, the only thing they share in common is that the main purpose is to provide more choices for parents. And what we're finding the charter schools is they, they are tend to attracting kids uh, who have not been uh, performing up to their highest potential in their prior environment. And uh, those are the, the uh, kinds of students that the schools uh, seem to be attracting. And so in that regard, I see the program is uh, very much working as, as uh, intended to uh, provide more choices and to help close some of the performance gaps that exist in Cleveland and elsewhere in the state. Do most charter schools have a theme like, you know, School of the Arts or School uh, of Mathematics? or Many other? do. Many do. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the schools... I don't want to say niche market, but the people that started the school had a certain idea they wanted to express, whether it was a curriculum or whether uh, it was a sort of a instructional model or whether it's a, uh, an art school or a Montessori school or a back-to-basics kind of approach. Uh, some of them offer, you know, very structured environments with uniforms and, you know, all the rest. 
so, uh, so most of the schools have, have a certain flair about them that, uh, you know, that not only is good for parents who might want that thing, but also good for teachers, where teachers can find a school that they think um, conforms with their educational philosophy or that the school and the teachers have, have a shared sort of educational vision that, uh, that helps the school work better in many instances. One of the biggest populations of, of uh, kids that uh, some of the schools serve would be uh, dropouts. There are a number of uh, charter schools that are dropout recovery programs that, you know, that seem to be successful in, in pulling a lot of kids back into the school system who had previously been out for a year or more. We're talking with Clinton Sato, Assistant Director of the Ohio Community School Center, and we're talking about charter schools on Sunday Digest. I'm Ken Robinson. This is FM 99.5 WGAR. Is it too soon to gauge the success of charter schools? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's far too soon. A lot of attention has been made of the, of the uh, proficiency test scores, but it's, it's, you can't judge a school after they've been open for one year and have no track record. Uh, what, you know, what it shows you is the kind of kids they've been getting from, uh, from the kids' uh, previous environment. Uh, what we have seen is through a parent survey that we've conducted, actually, uh, shows that uh, parents are generally very happy with their, their, their schools and very happy with education that they're receiving, and that most parents plan to keep their kids in the charter school uh, that they've chosen for their child. So uh, from the parent's side, some of the assessments that we've made of their attitudes and values uh, uh, seem to indicate the program's being successful. How has reaction been from uh, public school administrators? Are they... Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it depends on where you are. Uh -huh. uh, a lot of research has been done into the effect of charter schools on uh, surrounding districts, and, you know, oftentimes there are, there are a couple of different responses. I mean, some want to fight it. Uh, others say, gee, you know, this is here. We better uh, beef up our own programs to compete with some of these new schools. And some districts uh, actually embrace the program as part of their own educational reform agenda. Who can start a charter school? Uh, well, anyone who really wants to. I mean, uh, their group of teachers in an existing school can approach their district and say, hey, we want to take uh, ABC Elementary School and convert it to a charter school and do this with it. Uh, alternatively, a group of, of concerned parents or concerned teachers or concerned citizens can try to create a whole new school and they can approach Cleveland or any other local public school system with that, or they can approach the State Board of Education. And uh, the law sets forth the strict guidelines of what the school has to do before it, it can open. It has to develop an educational model, obviously. It has to have a business plan, a governance plan, a management, and also uh, an accountability plan, a plan that sets forth the performance standards that the schools will achieve. And uh, they sign a contract with the district or the state board, and uh, they have to meet those standards, or the sponsor has the authority to terminate the contract. Is it difficult uh, filling out all the paperwork and getting um, it? Well, it is. It's uh, very demanding, but it's not, uh, it's not impossible, and certainly uh, you'd want it to be demanding because obviously these are public schools and do receive public tax dollars, so there's some fiscal accountability there that obviously uh, you would want. And uh, so it is, I think, a pretty rigorous process. Uh, you have to have very detailed plans for how you're going to run the school, how the school is going to grow, how the student population is going to unfold, you know, how the curriculum is going to develop, how the school is going to be managed, and you know, what the class day is going to be like, and you know, all those things. They have to have policy manuals for, for their employers and for their students and for their parents and so on and so forth. I mean, it's a very rigorous process, and quite frankly, a lot of people can't complete it and never open. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and if, and if they can't do that, then, then they probably shouldn't. Now, where did the teachers come from? The teachers have to be certified teachers. 
the same uh, for the for the most part the same licensure rules that apply to uh, to other public schools, and uh, and so they are uh, public school teachers. Okay, and they go when they go on the payroll, they are paid by the they're state? paid by the school, which right. again is funded by the state. Uh-huh. They stay in the the state teachers retirement system, and uh, all those good things. Tell me about the. Uh, the atmosphere in, in the average uh, charter school, is it very much like a, a, a regular public school, or is it... Uh, well, there's, you know, there's a lot of diversity within the movement. Some schools are very back-to-basics, rigorous, disciplined kind of environment. Others uh, are more progressive, uh, more hands-on, more student-led. Uh, some are multi-age, non-graded. Uh, there's a great diversity. Uh, typically, though... Um, main charter schools do avoid some of the problems of uh, of uh, violence and so on and so forth that the other schools are affected by because it's a new school where the where the uh, administrators and teachers have the opportunity to sort of create a good, healthy learning environment for the students that are there. And typically, uh, our research into parent attitudes uh, shows that, uh, among all things, they're happy with the safety and the quality of the learning environment in the school, and that's a big reason for why they stay. Have you had a lot of calls from parents saying, I'd like my kid to go to a charter school? Where can I find a charter school in my area? We do get those schools, and we also get calls from uh, people where their charter schools are not eligible to be open, and they say, well, why not? And uh, so, I mean, I, I think there's demand in, in very large parts of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there'd be a big market for the, for the, for the program uh, across, across the entire state. Do you think maybe the governor and the state legislature are dragging their feet? People seem to want choices when it comes to education mm-hmm. for their kids. And a lot of times there's opposition to choice. Sure. Well, there's a lot of people that support that position. I think the state has chosen a path that's more cautious. Uh, obviously, the state has a lot of educational issues on its plate right now. It's got the big funding decision, mm-hmm. this voucher program, uh, there's this program. I think there's a, uh, a, a uh, broad conception among many people that the program is still experimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, uh, I think it's way beyond that now. Although the program in Ohio is new, program as a whole across the nation is, is not so new. There will be 2,000 schools across the country this year. They'll have half a million kids. Uh, studies have been shown uh, that the charter school programs in other states with older programs are very successful. I mean, states like Arizona and Michigan and California have hundreds of schools with tens of thousands of students, uh, no let-up in, in sight. So uh, I, think, uh, I think the state will begin to play catch-up and see that this is a really viable alternative that in no way is uh, harms or destroys or is a way to dismantle the existing system. But I think uh, uh, over the long term, you'll see the charter school program as a vital complement to the traditional system and the shared goal of serving all kids to the best of, uh, best of their ability. What are the advantages of having a, a charter school system? Well, A, there's a simple matter of providing parents more choices so that they can find a school that best suits the needs of their kids. There's, uh, I'm sure you're well aware of the large performance gaps that exist in many areas of the state. Uh, I'm sure there are you know, some schools in Cleveland that are very, very good. There are other schools in Cleveland that aren't so good, and that's true pretty much across the state. And uh, and we find that, you know, that some parents prefer these schools, and, and if they prefer them, then to some degree they're entitled to have what they want, I feel. Uh, at the same time, they do provide competition. If districts uh, have to compete with other schools for students and for funding, 
uh, that provides definite uh, fiscal incentives for them to improve their own programs and to be more responsive to what parents want. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, if if the market and parents weren't there, the schools wouldn't exist. The schools only exist to the extent that they can keep and retain their parents. And if their parents leave, or they don't please their parents, parents have the you know the the uh, the freedom to leave. So the accountability for parent choice works both for the charter school and for the district. Well, thanks a lot. Really appreciate the interview. My pleasure. Clinton Sato, Assistant Director of the Ohio Community School Center. And if you'd like more information about charter schools, you can give them a call at 1-877-SCHOOL-8. That's 1-877-SCHOOL-8. Up next, bad language. Does it set a bad example for kids and adults? You're listening to Sunday Digest. Sunday Digest. Here's Ken Robinson on WGAR. 99.5 WGAR. Now, joining us on the line from Northbrook, Illinois, is James Connor. He owns a public relations firm and is author of Cuss Control, the complete book of how to control your cursing. James, how did you come to write a book about the overuse of four-letter words? Well, a couple of years ago, I just kind of got tired of hearing so much swearing in public. Uh, I'd actually been a swearer most of my life, and I think I was a little bit more discreet about it. was careful about who I was swearing in front of, and these days you just kind of hear it everywhere. People are very inconsiderate, and of course... There's more and more swearing on, in movies and on uh, cable TV and even network TV and in the music. So I decided I would stop swearing so I wouldn't contribute to this decline in civility. found it a very difficult habit to break after many, many years and could not find any books on how to break the habit, so I decided to develop some techniques and write the book myself. Well, I remember curse words used to be confined to people in private situations, uh, um, shop talk, that kind of thing, uh, men and men uh, talking among themselves or women talking in private, but now it's uh, a public thing. Yeah, it really has evolved, I guess we could say, deteriorated maybe we could say. Uh, it's just become uh, kind of a way of speech for a lot of people, but the fact is it still offends a lot of people and it just really isn't proper. What's the danger of this? Uh, what's the danger of cuss words becoming more prevalent in society? Well, there's a number of reasons. In fact, in my book, I list 25 of them. But uh, to give you some of the big ones, uh, it is contributing to a decline in civility and good manners. Uh, it does offend a lot of people. They just never tell you that they're offended. And it really is a reflection on on you. It, it reflects the way people judge you, you know, whether you're intelligent, mature, have emotional control, etc. But judging from uh, television and uh, popular music and, and especially the movies, uh, cussing would seem to be the in thing. Yeah, and I think that's the popular culture that's telling us that, and it's a shame because we do tend to copy and imitate what the popular culture does. Uh, and it has become more standard. I mean, the language does evolve, there's no question. But if you hear a damn or a hell, it's not so bad. But the F word and the MF word and a few other words are still pretty abrasive and hostile. And that's that's really part of the problem is a lot of the swearing that we do is just for fun, but a lot more of it is is uh, the tone and the attitude behind it is what's offensive. How so? Well, it can be very belligerent. 
uh, it's just the way we talk to each other. When someone says to you, uh, you know, hey, you know, the Indians uh, won uh, four games in a row, and you say, well, who gives a flying whatever? But we, we, we bark at each other. We're hostile. We're more abrasive and confrontational. Or we're just bitter. We're just complaining. We're criticizing. We're expressing a lot of negativity with a lot of our swearing. So it's put like a, a, a tougher edge on society, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's, un, it's just unnecessary, and it, it creates an overall atmosphere that's just a little bit harsh and uh, unpleasant. People who don't cuss, are they usually labeled as, you know, being out of it or being square? Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, sometimes they are, but for my book, I decided to interview people who don't swear at all. And my first thought was, well, where am I going to find them? <laughs> but I started asking around and discovered that even some friends of mine, people who I thought I knew pretty well, were non-swearers. I just wasn't aware of it. But what I discovered when I interviewed these people, including strangers, I interviewed people from all over the country, men, women, uh, all ages, um, they all had very good character. You know, they weren't simpletons by any means. They were simply people who chose not to use this language but they were also even-tempered people, uh, respectful people, tolerant people, a lot of really good qualities. So their use of language is like an indicator, a barometer, as to the, uh, the character of the person, the quality right. of their life. Right, and we don't, we don't really realize that, and that's why I put all these people together in one chapter, and it's called, Why Don't These People Swear? And I want the reader to ask themselves that question as they read it, and then they'll recognize that, hey, there's, there's something special about these people. Now, these people, they don't swear because they feel it compromises their integrity, or is their integrity uh, just exclusive of, of cussing? Yeah, they just don't like the sound of it. There's kind of different reasons. It was just simply something they were told was nasty, they shouldn't do it when they hurt children, and they just never picked it up. I asked every one of these people, I said, okay, what do you say when you really get mad? You must say something. And most of them had to stop and think. And they'd say, well, I take a deep breath, I count to ten, I walk away, come back to the problem later. In other words, they handle it in a very mature way, whereas most of us simply fly off the handle and just blurt out the swear word. So not cussing can also be seen as a, uh, an indicator of self-control, someone who has uh, control not only over themselves but their environment as well. Right, exactly. Hmm. And, and also someone who just doesn't do a lot of uh, complaining and whining and grumbling. They do some, obviously, because everybody does, but uh, they don't do it quite as much. They learn to cope, not cuss, to deal with situations as they come. You know, we can't all do that, and we can't all do that all the time, but, you know, these people uh, at least make an effort. Now, is there such a thing as casual cussing? Yeah, I break all swearing into two categories, the casual and the causal. The casual is the informal, relaxed uh lazy language. We just use the swear words because they seem to kind of work for us in many, many applications. The causal swearing is swearing that's caused or provoked by anger, frustration, annoyance, irritation, impatience, things like that. Both of uh, those uh, kinds of uh, usages have the same kind of impact or a different impact? Different impact. Uh, mm -hmm. For example, the casual swearing, if a bunch of guys are together and they all swear and they're just talking and using this language, it's not a big problem. But if they happen to be in a public place, like a family restaurant, then it's not a good thing. So it's just, and, and that's the easiest one to control. 
there's no emotion there behind it, so it's just a matter of thinking of a more appropriate word or expression. All right. Now, what if somebody says, uh, well, I, I do cuss too much, and I want to stop? Mm -hmm. How do you go about stopping? Well, first you do recognize that it doesn't do you any good. I mean, people will argue that it feels good to swear, but the fact is it sounds bad. It makes you look bad. So if you start with that premise, uh, you can do a number of things. You can say, um, uh, I'll just use different words wherever I can, uh, especially with exclamations. You know, we shout out a swear word, whether it's in anger or in joy, either way. But there are words that we can use that, that maybe we use anyway when we know we can't swear, like good grief, oh, man, holy cow, holy mackerel for crying out loud, uh, mercy. I mean, these are all expressions that we use. So just just pick those and say, I'm going to use this expression. Like I use shoot all the time because that's real, real close to what I, I really want to say. <laughs> well, is it hard to do? Is it hard to, to substitute? To, yeah. I guess it takes time, huh? It does. <laughs> there's, there's overnight no overnight cure here. You know, it's like going on a diet. You don't lose 20 pounds in a day, but you can drop a few words here and there. And, you know, when you hear yourself swear, you just pause and say, oh, what word could I have said instead? Or how could I have rephrased that so it didn't sound so abrasive? My mission is to try to get people to be more careful about when and where they swear. My book is called Cuss Control, not Cuss Elimination. It is something that we do to communicate and express ourselves, but we've got to be more careful about where we do it and also more careful about the impression we're making people don't realize the power of words. They really don't. They really don't realize that people are also judging them and, and developing a viewpoint towards their character and their personality that's often not very favorable if the language is pretty rough. Now, folks that really have trouble breaking the habit, they, there are cuss control uh, support groups out there, groups people can join? Well, you can you know, just form your own. I mean, I think one thing you can do, too, if you want to stop swearing is tell your friends or your family, I'm really going to try to cut back. You know, if you hear me swear, tell me, because I may not even know I'm doing it. Or poke me, you know, and the more you poke me, the more annoyed I'll get, and I'll finally stop. <laughs> uh, there's all types of little tricks that I've got in my book on, on things you can do, but that's part of it. Is you can let people know you want to clean it up. Yeah, I notice uh, a few of the tri tricks are uh, have someone record you, record you talk. That's always an eye-opener. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's hard to do, but, I mean, uh, if you happen to have a little pocket uh, dic uh, dictaphone or something, you can, you can get somebody when they're not expecting it. And, again, the book is Cuss Control, the complete book on how to curb your cursing by James V. O'Connor. And we thank you for joining us on WGAR. My pleasure. And that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Sunday Digest. This has been Sunday Digest with WGAR's Ken Robinson, a public affairs presentation of 99.5 WGAR. The views and opinions expressed on the show were those of the participants and not necessarily those of WGAR, its staff and management. Join us next week for another edition of Sunday Digest. Panoramic Lifestyle Clothing. Hey, look alive! Everything lights up, makes you want to shout. Talk about happiness, that's what we're talking about. You'll look great in a panoramic lifestyle t-shirt.
No money won't bring you happiness, but we know will. Come on now, smile, get happy. Order your t-shirt today at plclothing.store. plclothing.store.